Well, finally this week on the OHL podcast, we can talk about actual games. So no more goofy predictions from me. Like, I don't know, the Peterborough Pete's are a sleeper in the East and the Midwest division is going to have three of the top four teams in the Western Conference this year and so on and so forth. They might have the top four, but the West division leader gets that automatic second seed. Nonetheless, let's talk about the games that were on opening week as we welcome Terry Doyle to the podcast. Terry is the voice of OHL radio, as you know, and also hosts, of course, Sarnia Sting Games on your TV. First weekend in the books, Terry, finally back on the ice. We can talk about the games. It's great to see. I think even I've talked to people and I see it myself and you see it just even from training camp onwards and the preseason, it looked normal. It looked normal what we were used to going into the 1920 season, which seems forever ago now, and just everything feeling like a regular OHL season. Of course, started a week later compared to what we were used to back, uh, you know, four and five years ago. But uh, all in all, I think that's the best part of it. It's just, you know, after not having a season, after having a season stopped, after having a lot of question marks going into last year, the fact that we could just worry about what was going on on the ice, well, I think was uh, a huge thing. And uh, sure, I don't think we're all out of the woods. Let's get through another season. But, uh, you know, it's nice just that feeling of a normalcy going into this season. Well, and on that point, the 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 normal point, if you will, because I agree completely, even though last year was essentially a, a full season just with the no cross conference and fans in the building or not in the building, it did take away some of the, the that sense of normalcy for sure. But based on opening weekend numbers, it looks like attendance is it's off to a great start in the league this year. Yeah, I think maybe people are a little more you know hyped up to get out to do things, whether it's go to an OHL game, whether it's go to other things. And I think that's you know a good thing as well that sure, there are some people that are a little uh, nervous still and that's their choice. And if that's what they want to do. And I know of people, for example, that are still nervous to travel across to the US, for example. And once again, that's their choice and you respect that. But no, it's a great thing to see. And I think people just want to get out, see their friends and neighbors again and see some exciting OHL hockey. So uh, once again, I think we're back to that normalcy example and maybe starting a week later helps as well temperatures a little bit cooler and it just as feels as we're getting into october a little different than starting on september 21st for example where there are more activities going on you talk about exciting games and we had our share of those over the first four days of the season but one thing that jumps out to me terry and i think anybody following this game will agree that the midwest division Typically, we talk about it as one of the toughest in the league. I don't think there's any disputing that with four of the five teams really built for something, perhaps even this year. And here we are talking after the first weekend, and only one of those five teams has any wins, just like we thought it would be, right? Well, of course, and that's where people are already calling for trades and coaches uh, to be uh, face the hammer for that. No, I'm kidding, of course. But that's just the way hockey fans can be. And opening weekend in the OHL, I've always found to be a little bit upside down because you're dealing with teenagers and some of them are ready to go for opening night and some maybe not. And some coming back from NHL camps uh, days before. And you talk to any player and they'll say the difference in playing in an NHL environment versus an OHL environment is completely different. In the OHL, it's a little more chaotic, less structured on the ice. Sure, teams have their structure, but not as much as you would see at an NHL practice or an NHL preseason game. And it is, I remember talking to whether it was star players or middle of the road players over the years, and they would say the same thing. So it is a little bit of an adjustment coming back and you get into that opening weekend and maybe some travel they had coming back. Some players, you know, they may have been coming cross continent depending on where their uh, NHL camps were. So it leads to a little unpredictability and some teams even finishing off their rosters 
and figuring out who goes into what slot. So yeah, opening weekend, it's, there's always that player who, you know, lights it up on opening weekend and never to be heard from again. And there's somebody else or some other team that people are like, Oh my goodness, they're Owen too. Yeah. They'll be fine as things go along. Such a great point on the players who were at camps and might have pro camps that is, and might've returned to their junior teams, even just days before the season started, missed a lot of that training camp time and gelling with their line mates, gelling with the players on their team, getting used to those systems, et cetera, et cetera. While we're on that point though, a couple of big names out there, what do you think the chances are? And I know here I'm getting into predictions again, but Wyatt Johnston, Shane Wright, will we see these guys, do you think in the Ontario hockey league again this year? I think with Wyatt Johnston especially, I would expect we will see him back. I think he will get some games with Dallas, but at the end of the day, unless he's really a top six forward with the Dallas Stars this season, I don't see why they would use up one year on his contract. He's a guy that they're going to expect to score. And I think if he's not in the top six, okay, maybe if they see a role for him on the third line, but now you're getting into usually traditionally more of a checking role. I certainly do not see him playing on the fourth line. And I remember going back hearing years ago, uh, Ricard Raquel, had been playing pretty well with the Anaheim Ducks, but he was called into the office and they said, we didn't draft you to be a fourth line player. And that's where you are right now. Go back to Plymouth at the time and light it up there and come on back next year and expect to be or try to make our top six. And that's where I see with Johnston that uh, if the Dallas Stars don't have a spot for him in their top six forward unit right now, then at this point, why not send him back to Windsor and save a year on the contract? Shane Wright's a guy that I think, you know, contributes at both ends of the ice. So it could be a very interesting situation a little more with him, what the Seattle Kraken decide to do. But at the end of the day, that's a Seattle team that's building for the future. So once again, they'll have to decide whether or not to use up a year of that first year entry or the, the first year of the entry level contract. And so it would not shock me to see both of them back in the Ontario Hockey League. I'd see Johnson a little more likely than Wright. Is right a post-World Junior back in uh, junior situation, potentially, if not earlier? But uh, I'd be surprised if both of them do not see an OHL arena before the season's done. A lot of talk in your side of the Western Conference. You, of course, following the Sarnia Sting and in that West Division, the Flint Firebirds getting a lot of preseason love. I think understandably so. It looks like this team under Ted Dent is poised to maybe even go a step further than they did a season ago. Well, that's exactly it. Now the question, of course, is goaltending. They lost Luke Cavillan last year, who I thought was, uh, especially down the stretch, the top goaltender in the Ontario Hockey League in that second half. And I remember seeing him some consecutive games in February where he was just rock solid. One of those goalies would give up two, but you weren't getting a third. Or give up that third, you were not getting a fourth by him. But yeah, so many players are back for them, led by Brennan Offman, the Rangers draft choice, who's so dangerous on the ice, sets up on that power play and just scores from that offside wing. And I think that whole group really coming back and the chemistry. But yeah, they bring in Will Cranley, who have played some excellent hockey this past weekend as well for the Firebirds, made a couple uh, highlight reel saves as well. And I think that's a team where as long as you have someone who's steady in goal, who's not going to be an issue, we'll say, and sure, gives up a couple. You don't necessarily expect them to steal games, but I think they have enough talent up front that the Firebirds can certainly outscore their opponents and then play a good, strong, physical, defensive game as well, where they're just solid in their own. And it's not the physical rough and tough we used to see years ago, but just standing their ground and making it difficult for some of their opponents, especially some of the skilled players around the league when they go into Flint on a Saturday night. I talked about the Sarnia thing coming into this season as a team that I'm just not sure who or what they are. This is the team that you cover most closely. And of course, I got to see them firsthand on opening night in Kitchener when they laid a pretty good whooping on the Rangers, who on paper and 
considering preseason expectations, should have, if you were playing the game on paper, come out on top of that one. What do you make of the Sarnia sting this year? There are some uncertainties because we're waiting to see what Sandus Vilmanis and uh, Marcus Limpar Lance, they're two import players, what they do. And that's with any team. If you get two import players that really contribute, that makes a huge difference. And both look to be in the top six of the Sarnia Stings lineup. And then uh, that's a big factor right there. And we saw that with Limpar Lance, so the multi-point game on Friday night against the Kitchener Rangers. And then with the Sting, you know, they sorted out their overage situation pretty quickly with Theo Hill going to Saginaw. So, you know, Ethan Ritchie came over from Kingston last year, was Sarnia's top defenseman by the time the season was done. Ty Voigt, the Leafs pick, of course, he's not an overager, but coming back and looking to be their top scorer again, Nolan Burke had 34 goals last year. He's back as an overager. And don't sleep on Nolan Dillingham on the back end. Just a solid, steady uh, defenseman, a leader. He's their captain. And I think that's you know worth the sting. It's going to be if their top six forwards can really contribute, put up big numbers, and at the same time, be steady on the back end. And that's where maybe they relied a little too much on Ben Godreau at times last year. And now Godreau back, the San Jose Sharks pick, looking to be one of the top goalies in the Ontario Hockey League. But the sting can't hang him out to dry. He's going to play a lot of games this season. And if they can be you know more solid on the back end, especially against some of the skilled teams around the league and Sarnia especially as well making sure their power play is going it was sort of up and down and down a good chunk of last year get that group going but it's a team especially with now with the depth with the two import picks if they do very well that can make a huge difference I loved Ethan Ritchie's game on opening night. He really controlled things there on the back end and was a tower of strength, in my opinion, for the Sting in that victory over the Rangers. You talk about acquisition by trade. It makes me think of the Niagara Ice Dogs. I'm calling them the Ice Mutts this year, Terry, because they're just a mixture of virtually every other OHL team, given the number of deals they've made coming into the season. 17 trades as you and I talked since the end of June. And, uh, you know, that's what they decided to do to, uh, you know, repiece a team together. And we saw with the twins going from Kitchener last week as uh, I think that was trade 16 or 17. I forget. I've lost track, but you know what? That's deciding to, uh, I guess, literally out with the old and in with the new. And uh, you never know. We've seen teams over the years in the OHL that I call were assembled rather than built. I know that's pretty much the same thing, but I think built is through the draft assembled is when you take the parts and bring them together and I think back to that 0607 Saginaw team that many would have said had an AHL roster and it was sort of a who's who of pretty top end guys from around the league and just never put it together you know the Ryan O'Mara's and the Cody Basses and people who weren't around the league you have to look those names up but they were well-known names in the OHL and so we'll see with that Ice Dogs Club whether or not this works assembling the team but they've got some players that are pretty hungry to move on a Pasquale Zito for example coming in from the Windsor Spitfires he contributed to that team that won the Western Conference last year and now can help lead the way offensively for that Ice Dogs team. And then they did bring a decent number of their younger players back. So you have the veterans they've brought in with the younger players. And if it's a cohesive unit, I think there's some opportunities there to make some noise. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And of course, all the deals were done before the season started. So player cards were not an issue, but now they would be. So that might change things up a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think you and I were the only people they weren't trying to trade for it lately, it seems like, because everybody else was uh, going in and out of Niagara over the last few weeks. They wanted talent, Terry. That's why. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned Saginaw. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that Joey Botano, the voice of the Saginaw Spirit, is going to be joining us next. And I feel a little bit of sympathy for the Spirit because they were loaded for bear. I think they were 20 and 3 in their 23 games leading up to the cancellation in 1920. Then the next year gets washed out. I would put Saginaw up there with the teams that got hurt most by 
the cancellations brought on by the pandemic. I don't know as a guy that covers a team in the same division, if you feel any sympathy, but any message you'd like delivered to Joey when he talks hey, to us next? Hey, I, you know what? I cover the entire league. I based in Sarnia, but I got the whole league. And I, you're right. I agree with you, Saginaw. And then I'd put Oshawa as a team that got killed because, of course, they made those huge trades. Yep. Uh, Phil Tomasino came in and then the cancellation. They were hoping to have him back. But, yeah, Saginaw is an interesting club and uh, certainly some changeover. But with Pavel Minchikov back, Mateus Sapovalov, two big guns up front. And this young Misa kid's looking pretty good already and uh, very well-spoken young man that I talked to last week and, of course, talked to him uh, around the draft as well. But, uh, no, Joey's one of the uh, the good group around the Ontario Hockey League. I would say it to his face. I'll say it right here. And uh, probably one of the better-dressed guys around the OHL as well. Well played all around, and I would concur. I listened to you and uh, Michael Misa chatting too on OHL Radio, which was terrific to get a chance to hear. I want to ask you one more thing about the East because I am – I am fond, and I'm, I'm not really sure why, but I'm fond of the Peterborough Peets this year. I'm not saying it's going to be an Eastern Conference championship, but I'm also not saying it's not. They look like a pretty nice sleeper team to me. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they've put together. And bringing in Connor Lockhart from Erie, I thought was a big move over the summer. There's a player, former third overall pick by the Otters, and that was, of course, the, the right, Othman, and then Lockhart was the next pick in that OHL draft, and then Brant Clark. And of those four, Lockhart's the one just looking to maybe get a little bit of a fresh start to increase his numbers. And he picks up six points in the first two games. And then Tucker Robertson with five points, the Seattle pick, and he's the uh, Kojiko OHL Player of the Week this week. So I think it's an interesting group that they've assembled. They bring in Sahil Panwar from Flint as an overager, a guy who can chip on chip in on your third line, play both ends of the rink. I think this is a team that could certainly be very interesting going forward uh, you know, especially if a few of their younger guys really step up moving forward this season. But uh, yeah, you're right. And I think the, uh, the square boards in Peterborough could be an interesting spot to play as this uh, season continues on. You talked a moment ago about covering this league. Yes, you you cover uh, for your job the Sarnia thing, same as me with the Kitchener Rangers. But I, I love this entire league. I'm looking forward to going east this weekend. How good... Does, when I say East, too, we call the Eastern Swing. Ottawa, Kingston, that's where the Rangers are headed. But how good does it feel for you, Terry? You've been in this league for more than a minute. Just to be back in this feeling of normal as we've had a really exciting opening week. Well, that's exactly it. And looking at the schedule and seeing that the the Kingstons and the Ottawas will be coming west and vice versa. Teams will be going there. And, you know, I know Sarnia has their uh, Super Bowl weekend Eastern road swing that they seem to do most years, which is fine because that means I get Super Bowl weekend off from doing home games. So it works out excellent for me, selfishly. But no, it just, you know, you think of last season, for example. Fans didn't get a chance to see Shane Wright in the Western Conference. Here's a player right at the top. Imagine, let's go back a few years, when McDavid Mania was going through the OHL, and he was selling out buildings. And I always said, the last player to sell out buildings before McDavid was some guy named Lindros. And nobody else really sold out buildings by themselves. Okay, now imagine McDavid didn't go East, and he only played in the Western Conference. Sure, some extra fits for some Western Conference fans, but maybe they don't come out as much because he's coming to the building three times rather than once. You know, you name the rank in the Eastern Conference, including a couple that usually have struggles drawing fans around the GTA, for example, and they filled the rank because of McDavid mania. Now, the fact that we have these Eastern stars going West and West going East don't necessarily have the big names as much this year than a McDavid, of course, or going back to a Stamkos and a Lindros and a Tavares, but it's still just meant to be from that standpoint. And even think of families. You have a player who's maybe from the Kingston area who plays for London, plays for Kitchener, plays for Owen Sound. Their friends and family didn't get a chance to see them play. That one visit that's usually huge every year. Nolan Burke for the Sarnia Sting was there in a preseason game last year, but it's from Peterborough. 
that plays for Sarnia, now he gets to go home and play in front of his uh, friends and family this year. I think that's a huge factor for everyone, too. It's exciting to be into the season. It's exciting to have that sense of normalcy. And we know it's a season, Terry, when you and I are having a chat like this. I'm sure it's the first of many. Uh, you're a good man. Always appreciate the time. And thanks for joining us here. Anytime. Well, we continue our episode of the OHL podcast with a chance to actually talk about the games. Opening week is in the books. And as I mentioned earlier, Joey Botano, the voice of the Saginaw Spirit, joins us. Joey, I kept you waiting here. I had you hanging up in the waiting room because I was on the line with Terry Doyle, broadcast colleague and, of course, divisional rival, if you want to put it that way. I put it straight to Terry about his thoughts on Joey Botano. Do you want to say anything about Terry Doyle? <laughs> I love Terry, but I, I got to admit, I'm a little upset that he's the reason I'm waiting. No, I'm just kidding. Terry, Terry's great. You know, we, he's been uh, since day one. You know, I can't believe I've already been in the league seven years. But Terry was one of the first guys that reached out when I when I got the job in Saginaw and, and congratulated me. And it's been great to get to know him over the years because uh, he has so much knowledge about this league that that obviously predates my time and predates a lot of the time of the radio broadcasters in our league. So uh, he's a great resource for us, obviously there. And he's a great friend and great person too. I, I like to tease Terry that I was reading his loose pucks blog when I started out <laughs> in this racket to get information. And it's funny, this just ruins the whole, uh, the whole myth of it all, Joey, because Terry had nothing but great things to say about you. Now you're saying great things about Terry. Fans want us, like, we're all in the Western Conference here. We should be, like, at each other's necks. They want the necks. dirt. <laughs> yeah, they want, they want the dirt. They want the – I got to tell you, that I was just talking to Ted Lehman yesterday because Niagara was in for the first time in, in over two years, and uh, it was good to catch up with Ted. He's been in the league a long time, and he's another one of those great guys, and we were kind of discussing that as – man, there's just really not a bad guy in this circuit when it comes to, you know, going around to the different arenas and looking forward to seeing some people that uh, I haven't seen in a long time because of the pandemic. So uh, if anything, that's the the really the thing I'm looking forward to the most about this regular season off the ice is is just catching up with our colleagues around the league. You know, it's funny you say that, Joey, because I say the same thing. And I say that to my family when they're like, you're like this coming weekend, I'm gone for four days. We're doing Ottawa and Kingston. They're like, why are you so happy? You're going to, and like, I don't love being away from the family, but it's like a second family in this league. When I get to see Jimmy Gilchrist in Kingston, you know, I'm going to sit down and listen to him for a few minutes. Sure. Yeah. Jim, Jim's a great guy. Uh, I had a good story about Jim, but, uh, We'll, maybe we'll get to that later on in the show, but uh, he's he's a great guy. He was awesome to me from day one. Um, my partner might have pulled a little prank on me that involves Jim Gilchrist, <laughs> but uh, maybe if there's time, we can tell that story. But uh, Jim's a great guy. There's a lot of guys out east that we haven't seen in, in a long time that uh, I, I like those ranks. I mean, they're there's a few of them that are pretty unique that we haven't been in in a couple of years. And then there's, you know, some of the newer ones that are are really nice. Like I think about Kingston and I always have a great experience going there because it's a, it's a newer facility that they really, uh, they really thought about the broadcasters when they built that press box area. So uh, I enjoy going to buildings like that. And, and I'm, I missed not seeing those teams and I miss not being a part of that experience uh, within the league over the last season plus. And I think uh, it, it just makes you feel 
more like a part of it to to play those teams and to be around those people. Uh, it kind of brings us all together and quite frankly makes us better broadcasters because of it, uh, because we didn't get a whole lot of extras or information from those guys over the past year, because quite frankly, we didn't really have to worry about it. Uh, during the season, we weren't really dialed into what Kingston or Ottawa or Niagara was doing because we didn't have to be. I could not possibly have said it better myself. And obviously, one of the great reasons to be talking to you uh, on this podcast today is because Michael Nisa is playing for the Saginaw Spirit. So you get a firsthand viewing of the greatness that we're all expecting. And what what an opener for the kid and for the yeah. team. But before we get to that, I, I'm not going to let it just go. There's always time for a story. So I'm guessing your <laughs> former partner it was at Rosie and he played the yeah. rank with Jimmy Gilchrist. Let's hear the story. Pull a little trick on me. It was early in my career. It was our, my first like long road trip. And that year it happened in Peterborough, Kingston, Ottawa. And so we had just played Peterborough the night before we travel into Kingston. And that year in particular, um, I made it my goal. I set out at the beginning of the year that I wanted to not necessarily interview on the record, but talk to every broadcaster in the league and get some background, not only on their career and how they got here, but also the team they work for and just, just trying to get better. Right. So I, uh, I saw Jim at morning skate and he introduced himself. And again, like we only played Kingston twice a year and we hadn't played them yet. Uh, to start the year. So this is our first encounter. Introduce himself. Uh, I have to say I'm I'm terrible with names. I'm terrible with first names, at least, uh, which is crazy because that's our job, right? Part of it is to remember names. And uh, and I we get back to the rink and uh, I'm riding up in the elevator with Dennis and I'm about to ask Jim to do an interview uh, before the game. And for the life of me, I can't remember his first name. And I, I go, I, I go, yeah, I got to interview that Kingston radio guy. Like, do you remember, do you remember his name? And, and Rosie goes, oh yeah, it's Chip. Chip, like Chip, that doesn't sound right. But I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm so bad with names. He could have easily said Chip, like, I don't know. So <laughs> I walk up to Jim start the conversation with like, hey, Chip, I wonder if I could get a couple of minutes of your time. And, uh, and I call, I must've called him chip four or five times during the interview. And, and he was a professional the whole way. And, uh, when the interview was over and I was like, okay, yeah, that's chip Gilchrist, radio voice of the Kingston Frontenacs. We'll be back with more pregame coverage after this, turn off the recorder. And, and <laughs> he said, Joey, it was a pleasure meeting you and a pleasure doing that interview. But by the way, my name is Jim. And uh, it was a pretty embarrassing uh, moment for a guy who had been in the league probably about, I don't know, three or four weeks uh, to, to do that to one of the elder statesmen of the league. But it just goes to show you how much of a professional that Jim is and, and how he kind of took it in stride and knew that I was embarrassed, obviously, when it was over and uh, wasn't too happy with my partner about that one. But we uh, obviously we've been together most of the seven years I've been with the organization, six of the seven years, and uh, he's a good guy, but that was one moment where I had to learn that he's got some character to him. There's no question about it. Oh, man, that is a hell of a way to learn that for sure. But you know what? <laughs> I'm already thinking, Joey, you could have been able to, to sell that on the air as, uh, you know, Jimmy Chip Gilchrist as his nickname or something, right? <laughs> right, 
Right. I, it, there, <laughs> there was ways around it. I was a little too upset to come up with those uh, smart ways to work my way around it. So I just kind of owned it on the broadcast. And uh, But after it was all said and done, we, we eventually laugh about it today. And, uh, well, we all know Dennis. You know Dennis well. It's, it's definitely not out of character for him to do something like that. <laughs> it certainly is not. He's one of the guys, too, that makes this loop as entertaining as it is. Okay, let's talk about on the ice. And as I already alluded to, uh, what a start. It was basically a, a bad football score, really. 10-6, yeah. you wouldn't want to watch in a football game. But holy Hannah, they must have been loving that at the Dow on opening night against the Guelph Storm. Yeah, you know what? It was it was interesting because, you know, I, talking to the coaches before the game, you know, I talked to Jesse Messier, assistant coach before the game, and I asked him, you know, given the circumstances, given the fact that this team is the number one ranked team in the OHL and we have them on opening night with all eight of our NHL, uh, you know, training camp players back in our lineup, do you consider this a measuring stick game, even though it's opening night? And, and he said, yeah, like in a way it is. Like in a way we're going to find out what they are we're going to find out what we are and and it, obviously i don't think anybody expected 10 to 6 um but the way the game went it, it honestly felt like two heavyweight fighters going head to head with both teams obviously gifted offensively and uh it was last goal wins and it wasn't even it was 8 to 4 in the third period saginaw was winning and, and i don't think anybody in the building was real comfortable with the lead and sure enough Guelph came back and, and scored two to make it eight, six. And so it really wasn't comfortable until that, even at nine, six, I'd say that goal by bloom on the breakaway and make it 10, six was like, okay, I think, uh, I think with a few minutes to go here in a four goal lead, I think we finally got this one, but uh wild hockey game back and forth. It was up for grabs. I remember zero, zero and Guelph had the first seven shots on goal and, and Lennox come up big. So, Again, you look at the score and say 10-6. I don't know if any of the goalies showed up. Lennox was key. We would have never got to that point without him in the in the first 10 minutes of the game. So uh, he did give up one, but he could have given up three or four, and this this game could have been over in the first period. So it was uh, it was even though like by and large the goaltending wasn't the story, it played a key role early on in the game to get to where we ended up at 10-6. I certainly don't want to gloss over those NHL prospects that you alluded to, Joey. And you talk about the captain newly minted this year and Josh Bloom, yeah. his breakaway goal, obviously Minchikov and, and Salopalov, and we can go on and on. But really, uh, when you talk about the Saginaw spirit this year, the player that everybody is talking about is that first overall pick, the exceptional status, of course, to Michael Misa. You've been able to watch him through camp now in his first regular season games. Plus, you're going to get to see him 66 more times still. But from right. your perspective, as one of the grizzled veterans in this league now, uh, what do you what do you think of what you're seeing from young Michael Misa? He's getting more and more comfortable. And as he gets comfortable, the confidence grows. And as the confidence grows, he goes to levels that we haven't seen yet. And I think that's a huge positive, not only for him and his career, but for the Saginaw spirit as well to benefit from that. Every time he ta- like he takes that next step, like scoring his first goal, immediately the shift after he got on the ice, he was creating. He he went to another level. The speed, the di- just the dynamic play, the vision. He's the full package already at, at 15 years old. He he came out on opening night in the in the OHL against one of the better teams in the league, and at times. 
uh, I don't know if you'd say dominated, but but certainly uh, the dynamic play and the and the decisions he made getting to soft areas of the ice. Uh, you look at that first goal; that's exactly what it was. You know, he was kind of camped out in front of the net. Uh, I believe Quatra had him, and he just kind of made a quick move to a soft area, and all of a sudden he was wide open for a one timer, and it was it was about a half second is all it took for him to get open to score. And uh, it's, it's, it's really exciting, Mike. Like that's what, that's what it is. Everybody in the league even, you know, should be excited about what this kid can bring to the table. And it's not often uh, that you'd have two exceptional status players playing in the league at the same time. And obviously it remains to be seen what happens with Shane Wright, but you know, the potential for that to happen here, uh, I think, Obviously, Saginaw Spirit fans should be happy, but I think the entire league should be thrilled to have the amount of talent that it has in it this year. And that's not even tall. That's just the young guys. You know, you look at uh, Cam Allen and, and Richie in Oshawa with the 2023 NHL draft. You know, those two guys should go very high in the draft. Uh, it, it's an exciting year for the OHL, especially to get everybody back in and playing each other head-to-head once again. If I'm a fan of the league, I'm I'm thrilled that, you know, every team's going to be in our building at least once. Yeah. Colby Barlow with Owen Sound, another guy that people yeah. are already talking about as potential top 10. I know it's so early, but you're absolutely right. This is going to be a fun league for fans to watch this year. And you mentioned Saginaw, Joey. Obviously, one of the reasons to talk to you, Terry Doyle and I were just talking about this, and I think I would have mentioned it to you at some point last season. Looking back to 2019-20, when COVID came into our lives and shut things down, I put the Saginaw spirit right up there with teams that got hurt the worst by that because of the way the team was built then and what was lost because they didn't get to play that playoff or, of course, the next year being wiped out. So how important is this year in Saginaw to get that energy going again for that fan base? It's important that it's a competitive hockey club, I think, this year. Um, Because, as you mentioned, not only the year that was paused and eventually canceled. But the year after the 2020-21 season that was never played, the window is also open for Saginaw there as well. You wouldn't have had the AHL rule exception in the NHL-CHL agreement. So you would have seen Cole Perfetti most likely play in a Saginaw Spirit uniform that year uh, because he ended up playing in Manitoba that year. So that tells me that you know he probably wouldn't have made the Winnipeg Jets. So in that case, he would have ended up back with Saginaw So obviously at that point, that's probably, that's at least a hundred points you could bank on right there for the spirit lineup. So yes, uh, we could go on and on with hypotheticals, but yes, uh, we were extremely hurt by the, the pandemic. Us, Ottawa, Oshawa, there's a couple other teams out East that, that really felt it as well, but you know, we got the roster break of getting uh, Bodie wild back as a 19 year old that we didn't expect uh, that year. And, uh, everything seemed to be set up for this Saginaw team to finally make that run for their first OHL championship and, and possibly a Memorial cup. And then obviously to have the pandemic uh, come when it did and, and take it all away. It was, uh, it was a tough pill to swallow. And then, you know, last year you end up, you know, 19 out of 20 and, and you're kind of right back to the very beginning of this thing all over again. That, that wasn't easy, you know, to go through that, but, as you know, in the OHL, this is, it's part of the process. You know, to, to build a winning team, you have to start at or near the bottom and work your way up. 
Now there's some philosophies on how you get there, obviously. And, and that was kind of the narrative or the storyline yesterday in our game head to head with Niagara was you have two teams that are in very similar positions and couldn't have went about building their team any differently. And so we have uh, only three players on Saginaw that were either traded or signed as free agents. And on the flip side for the ice dogs, you had only eight players that were drafted by the ice dogs and everybody else had been signed as a free agent or traded for. So it, it was just a very unique uh, and, and kind of differing philosophies as we watched uh, that game unfold yesterday. And I think it's too early to tell when it comes to the final score, or whether it's indicative of anything uh, other than maybe two teams that are a little bit tired. And, and I don't think the final score is really indicative of what we saw, but but anyway, nonetheless, it was uh, that was one thing that really stood out to me uh, yesterday was how these rosters are built and how the people who are in charge went about building them. Two games uh, under our skates, if you will, to start the season. There's lots of runway ahead, obviously. And for you, uh, not traveling yet with both home games for the Spirit. But how did it feel for you, Joey, coming back into the season? What was opening week in the OHL like for you as things kind of come back to normal around here? Well, for me in particular, uh, I also work for the Saginaw Spirit as the Vice President of Communications and Broadcasting. So uh, my work on opening week leading up to the first game is also on the day-to-day level with the organization. And, uh, and, and compounding onto that is we only had one preseason game in our building this year because of a prior event that, that really – kept us out of our building until September 22nd. So it it was a scramble, a mad dash, if you will, to get everything on the broadcast side, not so much the PR side, because that's more day to day, but certainly on the broadcast side where uh, technically speaking, I have a lot of support on that end, which is huge. Uh, and, And, you know, Mike, we have a lot, we've our, our television staff and the people that are behind the scenes are actually, uh, employed by the hockey club. Uh, we don't have a, a Rogers TV or a Kojiko that comes in and, and films our game. So I oversee that department as well. And so obviously when, uh, when you don't, when you're not in your building until September 22nd and your preseason games on September 23rd, uh, it can create some, uh, some challenges if, if everything doesn't go completely, uh, completely smooth. And, and that's what we saw uh, in our one preseason game. So it was a mad dash to the end. When the camera goes on and the broadcast starts, all that's behind you, though, and you're just dialed into the game. And so, by and large, it was a hectic hectic week. It always is, I think. The stress level's high, but uh, it's fun when when you finally get to be up in the booth and the game starts and the crowd's rocking and and everybody's into it. And, you know, you just think back, because it wasn't that long ago that, you know, even in Saginaw, there wasn't as many restrictions here for COVID as there was in Ontario buildings, but there was still some. And, and, and then there was some apprehension as well, you know, just naturally from people who, you know, maybe weren't quite ready to, to be in that environment yet. And to see, you know, 4,400 in our building for opening night. And, and as you know, you, you've been in our building early in the year, we compete against a lot here uh, early on for fans and, and to see, that response uh, for our opening night, it was uh, it was a huge success. And Dennis and I talked about it in the post game. Imagine if that was your first ever hockey game. You saw a little bit of everything in a, in a 10 to 6 game. 
that even if you were more, uh, even if you were more apt to the physical side of the game, you also had uh, a slew of penalty minutes in the third period as well uh, to whet your appetite that way. So it was uh, a little bit of everything on opening night, which was great. That's a great point. What a way to sell the game to perhaps a new set of eyes with 4,400. I'm so happy to hear that number too. Uh, just before I let you go, you got me thinking, and I, I say this a lot, but from a professional standpoint, I mean, we're not splitting any atoms doing what we do. We're not birthing no babies, but you talk about all those other duties you have, Joey. I, I was complaining to my wife and what a screw up I had on opening night because we have a mid-period break like every rink takes and I was trying to so I have 90 seconds of commercial time and I I tried to send out a tweet which I didn't get finished and I got frustrated I've got 90 seconds and then I come back to the game and I'm like I gotta dial myself back into what I should be doing and I told myself later I've been kicking myself since Friday don't be stupid your job in that moment is to call the game leave the tweeting till later how do you get in the mindset of calling the game like you're one of the best we've got in this league with all those other things that you've got on your plate well, I, I appreciate that, Mike. I, I think uh, I think the biggest thing for me is I have to – I pretty much prep for games on my own time, to be honest. I, I either come home the night before. I try to do it the night before. Some nights that's impossible. If it, At the very furthest away from the game, two nights before the game, I try to get in minimum 90 minutes of prep, but usually somewhere around two and a half hours of prep before each game. Uh, and I'm doing that, you know, after dinner time, and and I live with my significant other, and it's it's not an easy thing to look them in the eye and know you've been gone for a solid 40, 50 hour work week, and then turn around and say, also, you know, our time together is going to be put on hold because now I got to prepare for the other part of my job. So it's uh, as you know, it, it takes great uh, compromise and understanding from your significant other to. Uh, make this profession work for us. And uh, and for myself, I'm very lucky. I know a lot of guys in our league are very lucky because I know how much time they devote to their craft. And 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 not only that, but they want to get better and they want to be uh, – we want this league to be the best broadcasted games in, in all of hockey. I know, you know, talking to you over the years, talking to a lot of the veteran guys that have been broadcasting in this league for a long time, a great deal of respect for the guys that have been – at it a long time in this league to make the product what it is today. And uh, for me, I just know that that's part of the job and, and understand that, you know, if, if I want my broadcast or any, any of our broadcasts to be at that level, there's going to be some sacrifices along the way. And uh, that's just all part of uh, all part of the gig, but uh, certainly it helps when you have some, the people around you, your uh, support system is, is uh, strong and, and understanding. And uh, I certainly have that. And I'm very lucky. Yeah. And then you got a jerk like me who's interrupting your off day to do this. You're helping <laughs> me out now, Joey. You're a good man. <laughs> well, I understand. You know what, Mike, I've been in your shoes plenty of times, right? So I'm, I've, I'm sure I've asked something maybe from you specifically that uh, probably wasn't the most convenient time for you, but I'm sure somewhere along the line yourself or someone else in the league has made time for me. So, uh, I only, uh, I, I think it's only fair that we uh, help each other out. So no, no problem at all. Plus, I enjoy talking to you as well. So that that helps as well. I'll talk about this league and with you anytime as well, Joey. Really appreciate this. I can't wait to see you in the rink. Thanks for doing this. All right. Hey, before before I let you go, I have to ask you, uh, how how's our old friend Dominic Hennig treat you there in Kitchener? <laughs> oh, Dahmer. Let me tell you what. 
this guy doesn't leave a single stone unturned. I, it's one weekend, okay? Yeah. But I mean, well, even counting in the preseason, uh, you you talk about preparation, as you would know with Dom, he is uh, meticulous. And yeah. I'm getting more information from the front office at the Kitchen Rangers than I've ever had before. I already know what our travel schedule looks like for the weekend coming up and a whole bunch of other things. So uh, he's got people running around too, doing stuff, which is awesome. Like I had a guy yeah. asking me, if I need more than water in my booth on the opening night, can I get you a can of pop? Can I get you? It's okay. I'll, if I need one, I'll get my own, but, but thanks. So there's a lot of, a uh, lot of yeah. detail oriented work going on around here. He, he's the best. You know what I must say when he was working in Flint on the PR side of it, he made me better because of how tight his ship runs and how meticulous he is day to day. And when you're, when you're sharing a market, a media market and Dom Hennig is the PR guy on the other side, <laughs> you got to be sharp or your team's not going to get anybody showing up on the media side to cover your team. So he made me better and, and we're great. We're real close now. And uh, I mean, we were close then, but we're real close now. And I, I just had to ask because I already knew what you were going to say, but I, I just had to get confirmation on my end. I love to hear that about the market too, that of course you both competed in there in Michigan. And I'll tell you what, Joey, the first time, the first time there's even a minor slip up, which won't even matter, but it'll bug the hell out of Dom. I'm going to text you and let you know, and we'll bug him about it for the rest of the year. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) I appreciate that. I appreciate your time on this today. Thanks a ton for being here. Thank you. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.